we need to recognize that Jesus Christ is the solution to our problem. And for John 4, right, this is how we recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. The reason why it's so important is Jesus had to come in the flesh to deal with our sin. First uh, John 2, 1 and 2. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. I, uh, uh, and when I taught high schoolers, I always tell them, I'm going to give you 250 cent words. It's vicarious atonement. It means substitute payment. That Jesus came to be our substitute payment. In VBS here, we did last week, I was trying to explain it to the kids, and I said, well, let's say you were playing at a friend's house, and you broke something, and it was really expensive. And you went to your piggy bank, and you don't have enough money to replace it. But your daddy can come and and pay it for you, right? And and that's that's the picture that we have, is that that Christ came right to pay the debt that we could not. Um, I think the other struggle we have today is a, a lot of people like Jesus, but do we really? Is he really God? And is he really the only way? You know that exclusive thing gets in the, in the way of a lot of people. And I always turn people to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right, and I'll give you the McNeil paraphrase. And he basically is saying, God, if if there's a plan B, let's go with plan B. He, Jesus said, right, if you can take this cup from me, take it, but not my will, yours. Right? He did it willingly, and the reason why he did is he had to. It was required. If there was a plan B, make no mistake, Jesus would have gone with it and. When we recognize our sin and we recognize what Christ has done for us, I think then we see how much God loves us. I love the parable of the prodigal son, right, where the youngest son tells his dad, I want my inheritance, and he takes the money and he squanders it. And we always, I guess we could focus on the sin part, but I love the part of the father, right? The the father in the parable is a picture of God. Let me read this. So when the son finally comes to his senses and says, I'm going to go home and ask to be a servant, right? and this is where we'll pick up the story, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. That's the picture that John wants us to have of our father, our heavenly father. That God loves us so much, right? He's waiting. I, I love how that, while he was afar off, you get a picture of this, of this dad looking, where's my son? Right? And God's looking for us and waiting for us, just waiting to forgive and to love. Um. When I read the first John, I, I, when I grew up, one of my favorite verses is the first John 1 9. Right? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I, most believers, we've heard this and we get this, right? 
I think it's always good to have a new picture that this is really what God has done for me. And then, then he calls us to, right, to live differently. And let's read this. John 4, this is in 1 John 4, 13 through 16. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone not acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He hasn't left us alone. We don't have to do it on our own. Right? That God himself is in us. And he's going to help us to walk in this light, right? Six and seven of first, first chapter. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And, and also he calls us to, to obey his commands. This is from chapter two, six. Three through six. We know that we have to come to him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walks. Just a few more. How about, how about forgiving Forgiving those who've wronged you, right? John, this is uh, verse 9 and 10. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. We're called to forgive those and not hate, right? And then let's see, let's make sure our priorities are right. Is our perspective on um, earthly things or on eternal things? Do not love the world. This is uh, chapter 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting that that he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. And how about making progress? This is what I love. In, uh, this is chapter 3, verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has ever been with him or known him. Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who has does what is right is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. John is not saying... Be sinless. But he is saying we should sin less. Right? We should be getting better. We should be making progress. Um, last week, I was up at the LAPD Academy. One of my high school kids, who's no longer, I mean, he's in his late 20s. Um, if anybody knows Bob Lee from Bel Air, his son Jordan graduated from LAPD Academy uh, a week ago Friday. So I went to, to um, I went to go watch, and uh, but he gave a speech. Uh, he was the class president of his class of 31 graduates. Jordan did a great job, but 
I was struck by what the chief of police said, Charlie Beck. And he said, his dad was an LA police officer, and clearly the chief of police is a LAPD police officer. And he said, my son is an LAPD police officer. And, and Char the police chief Beck, was, he was getting emotional, and he goes, LAPD is my family, and you're joining my family, and I have high expectations of you. And I was just struck by that, that, you know, we belong to God's family. And I think God has high expectations of it. Although I, uh, I want to say this, because um, it's more important, I mean, it, who we are is not as important as whose we are, that we belong to Christ. Um, I'll give you two more verses from John. John, this is 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, do not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Again, we're called to live out our faith because of God's great love for us. And we can... 1 John 4, 7, and 8. I almost would sing it for you, but I better not. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. It's all about recognizing God's love and living for him. I'm going to end. I, I love it. I was, we were shopping at a Borders that, Borders that was closing, and I came across this book. It's the Jesus Story Bible. And I'm going to end by reading a story from this one, and it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, God said, believe me. And then God told Abraham his secret rescue plan. Abraham, I will make your family very big, God promised, until one day your family will come to number, more, to number more than even all the stars in the sky. Abraham looked up at the dark sky thick with stars. You will be my special family, my people, and through you, everyone on earth will be blessed. God knew that the secret rescue plan could only work if Abraham trusted him completely. God had to make sure that Abraham would do whatever he asked. So a few years later, God asked Abraham to give him a present. Abraham liked giving God presents. He gave God his animals. They were called sacrifices. And they were a way to say, I love you, to God. But this time, God didn't want a lamb or a goat God wanted Abraham to give him something more, much more. He wanted Abraham to give him his son, his only son, the son he loved, Isaac. Put the boy on the altar and kill him as a sacrifice? How could God want him to do such a terrible thing? Abraham didn't understand, but he knew that God was his father who loved him. And so Abraham trusted him.
And early the next morning, Abraham and Isaac set off, and they climbed the steep, stony trail up the mountain, and Isaac carried the wood on his back. And his father carried the knife and the coals. Papa, Isaac said, we have everything except we forgot the lamb for the sacrifice. God will give us the lamb, son, Abraham said. They built an altar and laid the wood on top. And Abraham asked his son to climb on top of the wood. Abraham didn't under, I'm sorry, Isaac didn't understand, but he knew his father loved him. And so he trusted him. And he climbed up onto the altar and Abraham tied his boy to the wood. Isaac didn't struggle or try to run away. He just lay there quietly and didn't make a sound. Everything was ready. Abraham took the knife and tears were filling up his eyes. Pain was filling up his heart, and his hand was shaking, and he lifted the knife high into the air. Stop, God said. Don't hurt the boy. I want him to live, not die. I know now that you love me because you would have given me your only son. Abraham felt his heart leap with joy. He unbound Isaac and folded him in his arms. Great sobs shook the old man's whole body and scalding tears filled his eyes. And for a long time, they stayed there like that in each other's arms, the boy and his dad. And then suddenly, Abraham saw a ram caught in some brambles, the sacrifice. God had given them what they needed just in time. The ram would die so Isaac didn't have to. So Abraham sacrificed the ram instead of his son. As they sat there on that mountaintop, watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air, the stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky, God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted his people to live, not die. God wanted to rescue his people, not punish them. But they must trust him. One day, somebody will be born into your family, God promised them. And he will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell his people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. And like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who is he? God's son. His only son. The son he loved. The Lamb of God. Amen.